Hear that? Is that America cheering or a sausage patty sizzling to perfection? It's time to cheer for Egg McMuffin and fresh cracked eggs at McDonald's. It's time to wake up to the aroma of freshly baked biscuits and treat yourself to a real honest-to-goodness morning meal. Breakfast, it's on at McDonald's. Now get any breakfast sandwich for just 2 bucks. Available only through the app. Mobile order and pay available at participating McDonald's. McD app download and registration required. Hear that? Is that America cheering or a sausage patty sizzling to perfection? It's time to cheer for Egg McMuffin and fresh cracked eggs at McDonald's. It's time to wake up to the aroma of freshly baked biscuits and treat yourself to a real honest-to-goodness morning meal. Breakfast, it's on at McDonald's. Now get any breakfast sandwich for just 2 bucks. Available only through the app. Mobile order and pay available at participating McDonald's. McD app download and registration required. The following is a message by Glenn Blakeney of Awake Nations. We trust that this teaching will both challenge and encourage you to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Awake Nations with Glenn Blakeney is taking the gospel of the kingdom around the globe by means of our miracle crusades and training seminars, as well as our teaching resources. For more information regarding Awake Nations and Glenn Blakeney, please visit us online at www.awakenations.org. Luke chapter 19, verse number 28. It says, When he said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain, calling all of it, he said to two of his disciples, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Or why are you loosing this? You shall say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owner of it said to him, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, or Baruch Abah, Bashem Adonai, peace in heaven and glory in the highest and some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city, that's Jerusalem, and he wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation." Now, here's what I want us to focus on tonight. Specifically, what is happening here, of course, is Jesus, literally, it's, it's a week before he's about to go to the cross, and his popularity is literally at his zenith. And what ends up taking place is there's a mixed response. We see the response of the people that uh, are rejoicing because of the great miracles and what are happening, and then we see the Pharisees. The Pharisees epitomize religion. And religion is based on things being orderly, things being decent, things being done a certain way, things, you know, literally happening in a, in a predetermined box, so to speak. 
And the Pharisees, of course, were also jealous of Jesus. They didn't like the fact that the people uh, just were enamored with Him. And so they end up, you know, telling Jesus, Tell your disciples to shut up and sit down. You know, this is church, Jesus. You've got to understand, we don't act like this in church. So what ends up happening is Jesus says the classical statement, Well, if they don't praise me, the stones will cry out. So there's this sense in which Jesus is saying, you know what, we're not going there. We are going to allow this to happen because this is the will of God. In fact, they didn't understand it, but it's like Jesus was saying, in just a short little while, you won't have to deal with this problem anymore, at least from my perspective, because I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be ascended to the right hand of my Father. But as Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem, here's the interesting thing. He looks at the city. You know, it's almost like it's just this scanning and he has this panoramic perspective of, of the city. And he looks at the city and he begins to weep. And he says to them, look, God has visited you. God has great plans for you guys, but you're not going to see it. In fact, destruction is going to come upon you. And he's literally prophesying what would happen in the year A.D. 70 when the Roman armies would literally breach the walls of Jerusalem and would come in and would destroy people and would literally overturn every stone in the temple. It would be a terrible, terrible time that would happen in their lives. And Jesus said, I came to you and I wanted to bless you, but by and large, for the most part, most of you missed out on the significant purpose for which I came. And he specifically says, because you, the NIV says, you did not recognize the time of your visitation. The New King James says, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now, here's the interesting thing. When he speaks about the time of visitation, what he's talking about is literally when God showed up in human flesh to reveal himself to the Israelites in that time so that they would understand and respond properly uh, to this purpose for this visitation. Now, understand that. For every time, God has a visitation. When He shows up and He visits people, whether you read about it in, in the Old Testament or the New Testament, He always expects a response from His people. There's always something required of those that have received the visitation. And they act in faith, they're blessed. They receive what God is saying, they're blessed. They will literally see the fulfillment of the announcement or the purpose of the visitation. The word to you, you did not recognize or you did not know the time of your visitation. The Greek word for know is literally a word that means you did not experience the purpose. In other words, it wasn't just that they hadn't given assent. You know, they hadn't philosophically, uh, you know, agreed to why Jesus came. Because as we already saw, many of these people had just been crying out, Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. But Jesus is saying this, Even though you give lip service to who I am, because that was literally a, a, it was literally a chant that they would sing to the Messiah. He's saying, you still fail to miss the purpose of your visitation. Jesus said, I came 
to my own, in John chapter 1, but to his own received him not. So, there's a purpose for this visitation. There's something that I literally expected of you in terms of response, but by and large, many of you have failed to grasp the significant purpose for my visitation. It's a very powerful and sobering truth. In fact, you know that there are many examples in the Scripture of people who have received a prophetic word, but that prophetic word did not come to pass in their life because they failed to respond properly. There are many, many examples of that. The parallels to today are striking. The warning is just as timely as God again is visiting His people around the globe. These are the last days that started on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. God says, in the last days I will pour out My Spirit on all flesh. God is pouring out His Spirit all over the world today. He is doing something significant, but it is incumbent upon us and we must embrace what He's doing, do our part, or we, like the Jews, will miss the time of our visitation. We must know how to prepare for a visitation from God so that we can receive and keep the full benefits of that visitation. We must learn to cooperate with God as He moves in revival and as He ushers forth His purposes on the earth. Now, I want you to think about this. Preparing for company. Okay? For some people... There's one thing that they just cannot stand, and that's when someone drops by their house uninvited. Okay? Some people, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's almost, you know, it's, it's very significant. It's almost to the point that, you know, nervous breakdown. It's that, it's that bad. So, don't come by my house without texting me, calling me. Some people still do that, right? They call on the phone. Um, and... You know, send me a Facebook message. At least let me know. Give me a heads up. But what ends up happening is some people still do that today. They come by unannounced. And depending on two things, you know, the, the degree of, of how we respond and how much it bothers us is literally dependent on two things, okay? First of all, are we prepared? How prepared are we for company? If we're somewhat prepared, then it's okay. If we are not prepared, I mean, if the house is a mess, if, if we, you know, we're in our pajamas or whatever, then we are not prepared for company, especially if we're sleeping, right? But the other thing is this, how highly we regard the visitor. How highly we regard the visitor. Now, now here's what I want you to understand. Okay, let's just say that one day... You're at home, you know, it's just about 7 p.m., you're winding down, just finished uh, having supper, and there's a knock on your door. You go to the door, and there's this guy in a black suit with sunglasses, and he's got like this earpiece in, and he's talking to other people, and he's, he says, oh, I'm so glad that you were, you know, that you accepted our invitation uh, you know, my name is Agent Such and Such. I am part of the security attaché for the Prime Minister of Canada. Uh, he will be here in two minutes. And you're like, what? What are you talking about? The Prime... Yeah, yeah. 
Didn't you get our, I mean, you accepted our invitation? You know, we, we told you at this date and this time that the Prime Minister had chosen to come and visit you. And rather than considering ourselves extremely blessed and fortunate, we panic. What are we going to do? I mean, come on now, we're not dressed for the occasion. The, the sink is full of dishes. The kids are, are fighting. What are we going to do? But we have little to no time to prepare. The next thing you know, the Prime Minister shows up, walks through your doorway into your home. After it's done, you know, you just kind of make your way through that and, you know, you fake it and... You're, you're okay, and then after, you, you know, you hold yourself together, but then when the, when the Prime Minister leaves, you just fall apart. You become unglued. I mean, you pass out, you, 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 you yell at your kids, you, you, you're just like, what happened? Why did this happen? I, I don't understand how this could have happened. And then, as you're going through your mail on top of your refrigerator, you find this letter that was sent to you over two weeks ago that you failed to open up. And in that letter, it's literally from the Prime Minister's office letting you know of the date of the visitation. But you failed to appreciate and to uh, receive the full significance of that visitation because you did not know the time of your visitation. All your memory is not even necessarily what the prime minister said to you. But all you can think about is how messy your house was. How misbehaved the kids were. Pulling each other's hair in the back room. You know, that's all you think about when you, when you reflect upon that day. And I want you to understand that Jesus came to the earth. And that same type of response happened in his day, and it's still happening today. Many people recognize who he is. They cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But yet, they fail to recognize the time of their visitation. In other words, they don't experience the full benefits of what he's doing in their lives. I was ministering in the United States at a church, and a revival broke out. We've been in probably four or five different places now that revivals have broken out. And let me tell you something about revival. The first thing that we have to recognize about revival is it's not because of our faithfulness or obedience that God causes revival. Because if that was the case, then it obviously, it's not dependent upon us. It's dependent on His goodness. But here's the thing that I've learned about revival. There's people that are hungry. They don't have to be perfect. But there's a hunger. They desire God to do something. But their focus is not on themselves. Yes, they know they're going to be blessed by it. But their focus is on the purposes of God. And the agenda of heaven is what is superlative in their lives. They recognize that God has a purpose for revival that goes beyond their breakthrough, their prosperity, their healing, their kids being saved. They realize that there's something even bigger than all of these things. 
and they cry out, God, I'm hungry for your presence and I want to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And because that is the cry of their hearts, God says, I will move. And He pours out His Spirit and He begins to shake regions and areas. We see salvations, we see healings, we see deliverances. But then someone or a group of people gets in there and decides for whatever reason, this isn't God. These people are acting strange. They're not composed. They are laughing. They're falling down. They're crying. They're shaking. God is a God of order. He doesn't work this way. This cannot be God. They said to Jesus that He cast out demons by Beelzebub. So recognize that religion does not like the manifestation of the power of God. Now, I'm not just saying that those are the only signs of revival. Repentance, holiness is also a very important part of revival. In fact, it's really the fruit of revival. And a repentance that leads us to not just look at ourselves, but to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Acts 1-8, you receive power to be witnesses. So how much power we have in our lives as Christians is dependent on to what degree we're witnessing. The greatest miracles I've seen are people that don't know the Lord. Hindus, Muslims, whatever it may be. Atheists, Satanists. Those are the greatest miracles that I've ever seen. I thank God for Christians that get healed. That's great. But I've seen full-blown miracles, signs and wonders among people of other religions who don't believe in God. When I was preaching in Africa one time, what ended up happening is we prayed and, and just a, a prayer of faith, and this woman literally responded by bringing her six-month-old son, baby boy, to the platform and telling the, the pastors, and one of the pastors was actually a medical doctor, saying, I want you to understand what has happened here today. My baby was born blind. His eyes opened, he's seeing, and she, she knew very clearly and, and irrefutably that Jesus had healed him. Healed this blind boy. She was a Muslim. What ends up happening is I go back there literally 12 months later, same country, and that lady comes, this time she's a Christian, she had been baptized, given her heart to Jesus, and she brings this boy who's now 18 months old, who can clearly see, and with the medical documents and everything that said he was blind, and it's obvious that this boy had been completely healed, and the crowds just go crazy. So I want to tell you that these type of things happen among people that don't know Jesus because they're signs that make you wonder. That's the purpose. Signs that make you wonder. And the reality is God wants to do these things. But for Christians who believe. Now listen to me. The Bible says this. Remember the man who was uh, paralyzed and his four friends brought him to Jesus and you know, Jesus looked at the man and he said, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And the religious people, the Pharisees, they got all disgruntled. And they said, What are you talking about, Jesus? You know, who are you 
Who has authority to forgive sins? But only God. So why are you talking like this? And Jesus said that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive sins. I say to you, arise, take up your bed and walk. So the purpose for the healing was to demonstrate that Jesus has authority to forgive sins. The forgiveness of sins is the only thing that will take you into heaven. You can go to heaven with a sick body, but you will never go into the presence of God for eternity with sin in your life. You need the blood of Jesus Christ to wash you clean. And the purpose of miracles is to point you to the Savior. To point you to the one who not only can heal your diseases, but more importantly, will forgive you of your sins, fill you with the Holy Spirit, give you eternal life. That's the purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ does include deliverance, healing, and all of the other benefits, but those things are not to be the focus. So what happens? We miss out on what God is trying to do in our lives. Why? He's saying, I'm coming to do something. But Lord, I want you to do this. Oh, don't worry about that. I, I, I can take care of that. But let's, let's address this right now. Listen to me. There are, there are reasons why we can miss the time of our visitation. Why do we miss the time of our visitation? Because we're looking in the wrong place. We're looking for answers in the wrong place. Let me give you, let me give you an illustration. You remember that song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places, right? We're looking for love. We're looking for answers in all the wrong places. Let me give you an example. A lot of Christians, our focus is on, for example, let's talk about finance. We need finances. We need money. Absolutely. God's promise, just as He's promised that it's His will to heal the sick. Yes, absolutely, God has promised to provide our needs. So what ends up happening, though, is many, many Christians begin to focus on that. God, I thank You that You're going to bless me. Thank You, You're going to meet my need. Thank You. And God is concerned about our financial needs, just as He wants to heal the sick. But what happens is we, we literally misinterpret the process for the promise. No, let me rephrase that. We misinterpret the promise for the process. Let me tell you this. For every problem you face in life, there is a promise. Every problem you face in life, there is a promise from God's Word. If you're sick, He says, I heal all your diseases. By my stripes, you're healed. If you're depressed, the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you are hungry, if you need food, my God will supply all you need according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So, for every problem you face, there is a corresponding promise from God that will meet your need in superabundance. But for every promise from God, there is a process. We're in Canada, I'll say process. A process. Let me, let me break it down. Matthew 6.33. How many know what it says? Seek ye the and his and all these things will be added unto you. Alright. All these things will be added. 
Yay! Yay! We love it! Seek first! Boo! Work. Repentance. Change my priorities. Stop trusting in man. Learn to trust in God. Oh. See, the promise is all these things will be added. But the process is seek first the kingdom and His righteousness. And many Christians miss out on what God wants to do, even though they've heard the prophetic words, they've heard the testimonies, God has spoken to them and made them great and exceeding promises, but they fail to see the fulfillment of those promises in their life because their eyes are on the promise and they're not willing to engage in the process. We could could break this down even more. But recognize this. So we're looking in the wrong places. Rather than say, God, you know I need this and I need you to heal me. We need to be saying, God, reveal to me what you want to do and how you want to do it. Now listen to me. Listen to me. Psalm 103, verse 7. Psalm 103, verse 7. Powerful truth. When you get this, the devil will be very angry at you. It says this. It says that the Lord made known His ways to Moses and His acts to the children of Israel. The Lord made known His ways to Moses and His acts to the children of Israel. The acts are the promise. Ways are the process. Because the children of Israel saw God's mighty acts, they saw Him do miracles, they they witnessed the Red Sea crossing and, and the ten plagues and all that God did supernaturally, but Moses knew His ways. And when you know the ways of God, you know the way to make Him act. When you recognize the ways of God, you know what makes Him act. The children of Israel, because listen, this is how it works. Revelation without demonstration is frustration. When you have revelation, God reveals to you a promise in the Scripture, and you go, yes, that's for me. He heals all my sicknesses and all of my diseases. And you grab a hold of that. You say, that's in the Scripture. That's what God says. Matthew 8, 16 says that it was to fulfill Isaiah 53, 4. Surely He bore our sorrows and carried our diseases. And you get a hold of that, and you recognize that this is the unequivocal, ironclad promise of God. He wants to heal you of any sickness and any disease, no matter what it is, no matter what the doctors say, if it's incurable or it's not incurable, whatever it may be, God says, I want to heal you. And you get a hold of that and you say, yes, Lord, I believe the promise. But then, a few weeks, a few months, maybe longer, you're not seeing the manifestation of that healing in your life. Because you know and believe the promise but you haven't understood the process. Moses understood exactly what to do to see God move. You know why? Why did he understand that? I said revelation without manifestation or demonstration is frustration. But do you know what? When you have demonstration and yet you don't have revelation, do you know what that means? Hey, I saw miracles. And you're like, well, that was cool. 
God must be in a good mood today. Come on, Alan. That's the way we think. Right? God was like in a really good mood today. We had a lot of healings. And then God's like, somebody tapped into the flow. Somebody knew how to tap in to this invisible river. Somebody knew how to lay hold of the promises by engaging in the process. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So someone knows how to tap in, and what ends up happening is they see God move. It's like the woman who reached out and said, you know what, the Levitical law says, I can't touch Jesus, but I'm going to do it anyway, because I know God is a good God, and I know He wants to reveal His way to me, and there is a process here that I must engage in. Obviously, I'm not going to get Jesus' attention. Obviously, the crowds, are, there's just too many people. But there's got to be something that I can do here. And so she reaches forth and touches the hem of His garment and she's healed. There is a process that we must engage in to see promise. And understand this. The reason why Moses knew exactly how to, 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 what to do to see God act, he knew his ways, is because of intimacy with God. Intimacy. See, the children of Israel were spectators. They saw the miracles. Really cool. Awesome. But when you become intimate with Jesus, that's not enough. At that point... He says, okay, I'm going to keep you in. in my, I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm literally going to clue you in on my best kept secrets. And you don't have to pay $1,000 to Tony Robbins. Come on. You know, $5,000 and I'll reveal all my secrets. No, that's not the way it works. He says this. He says in, he says in, in John 5.20, everything that the Father is doing... He reveals to me. Then later on in John 15, verse 15, he says, No longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. Because a friend, this is my literally paraphrase, but a, he says, A servant is not privy to what his master is doing. He doesn't know the, the, you know, the secrets. He doesn't understand those intimate things. But a son knows all things. And Jesus specifically says in John 15, 15, He says, Everything that the Father showed me, I'm showing you. How much did the Father show Him? John 5, 20. Everything the Father does, He shows me. The Father shows me all things, is what Jesus said. Whew. Oh, come on. Come on! Did you get that? Everything. In the Greek language, everything means everything. It does. In Hebrew too. Even in Aramaic. So, God is saying, everything. I want to make it known to you. I want to reveal to you my secrets. I want to show you my ways. Listen. Consider Jesus. He has to pay taxes. Right? It's, it's April. Tax deadline. And Jesus is like, okay, we've got to pay taxes. So what does he do? Okay, guys, let's take another offering tonight. Okay. 
We don't know. Maybe he had the money in, you know, in the ministry conference. We don't know. The Bible does not tell us one way or the other. But the Bible says this, that Jesus told Peter to go fishing. Very unusual way to pay taxes. The methodology was quite bizarre. But he says, go fishing, Peter. And Peter's like, why? He says, because you're going to catch this fish. In fact, it's the first fish that you catch. Open its mouth and you'll see a coin in there. And that will suffice so that we'll be able to pay taxes for both you and me. So Peter responds to what Jesus says to him, and he goes and he does it. And exactly what Jesus told him happens. So here's what I'm trying to say. What did Jesus, how did Jesus know what to do? Revelation. Understanding what the Father was saying. Jesus literally operated under this open heaven, and He didn't have to strive. He didn't have to beg. He didn't seemingly even go on a 40-day fast at that time, he did not before his ministry, but it was just like, it was just fluid. It was just like effortless. And because of his communion and his intimacy with the Father, the Father just, it just slid down from heaven, right? It's, whatever you need. You know, and God says something to James, like, if you ever lack wisdom, you can ask of him. And he'll give you the wisdom that you need. So what do you do? When you don't know how you're going to pay your bills. When you are diagnosed with the sickness. When your kids are acting crazy. Especially when they're teenagers. God forbid. When you go through stuff that is literally challenging. It's testing you. It's not a good report in the natural. There is a promise from God. For every problem that you face. But it won't come to everyone. It will only come to those who are willing to seek Him for the process. And as you seek Him for the process, He will reveal to you His ways. He'll tell you exactly what you're to do. Not necessarily to receive the healing. Not necessarily to, to receive a financial miracle. But He'll tell you what to do with your life. And as you obey Him, then you step into a place called grace where things just happen. Let me tell you that... <laughs> How many know that God likes to mess up our plans sometimes? I wrote an article in, in Charisma magazine a few months ago that was called When God Messes Up Your Plans. And I had thousands of people emailing me. Said, oh my gosh, that's just so me. And, and I was just like, oh my gosh, everybody's going through this. What is happening? So what happens is God messes up our plans. And He has no compunction about it. He doesn't even bother them. He doesn't lose any sleep over it. He just goes... And messes up our plans. Lord, I'm going to do this, and, and I'm going to do this, and, and I know I'm going to prosper, and I'm going to give a lot of money into your kingdom. God says, no, you're not. No, you're not. I have a better way. I have another plan. And... In order for it to happen, you have to seek first the kingdom and His righteousness. And when you do that, I'll reveal to you my ways. 
Oh yeah. Ishmael! Abraham! Oh, good idea, right? Ishmael was a great idea! You know, it was like Abraham said, Sarah, come here, I got an idea. I really feel like God spoke to me last night. And, and God, you know what? The Bible says that God helps those who help themselves. So, I got an idea. We've been waiting for God to do this for a long time. It hasn't come to pass. So how about bring Hagar into the tent? Abraham has a relationship with Hagar that was not God's will. Yes, she becomes pregnant. Oh, this must be God, Sarah, or she wouldn't have conceived. Come on now. Can't say man, say ouch. And then what happens is Sarah's like, God, don't don't let this baby be born. Oh, I feel bad. I don't feel good about this. The baby's born. I'm I'm surmising. Just bear with me. But what ends up happening is the baby's born, right? And he's healthy and he's strong and he grows up. Then one day, Sarah and Abraham realize, uh uh-oh, God allowed this, but this wasn't His perfect will. And God holds them responsible. Let's go back to plan A. I've never given, I've never forsaken that. Plan A is my plan. Plan B is your plan. And what ends up happening is God says, I'm faithful. I told you that I would cause Sarah to bear a child even in her old age. And I will bring it to pass in my timing and do exactly what I said I would do if you would trust me and hold tight to the promise and engage in the process. You would see my will come to pass. And then Abraham's kind of like, Oh God, can't we just kind of do both? Like, Ishmael, God bless my mess. And God says, send Ishmael away. The son of the bond Satan, of the bond servant, cannot live with the son of the promise. Can't happen. So God messes up our plans at times. And we're like, God, why? It's because I've got something better. And what I'm going to call you to do, you know what? It's going to change you. Sometimes we're just like, change my circumstances, God. I can't take it any longer. And God goes, how about we change you? We want to be comfortable in life, but He wants to conform us to His life. We want comfort. He wants conformity. Romans 8.29 For those whom He foreknew, He predestined. Say, I'm predestined. I'm predestined. Those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image or the likeness of His Son that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Hallelujah. (laughs) Some people say, I just want a million dollars. If I had a million dollars, that's all I would need. And God's like, you're not getting a million dollars. I'm going to give you conformity to my son. 
And when I give you conformity to my son, you don't need a million dollars. You know why you don't need a million dollars? Because you can feed 5,000 men with the glory. You can do miracles. You can raise the dead. Yes, people will sow into your ministry. When you have a miracle ministry, and when lives are truly, genuinely being changed, people will sow into that. Not everyone, but people that have been blessed and changed and transformed, like Mary Magdalene, who once had seven demons in her, according to Luke chapter 8, she and other women gave generously into the ministry of Jesus because they were healed and they were delivered. But the bottom line is, God says, when you learn to live according to my ways, it's not living according to the economy of the world. You're not confined or restrained or contained by the economy of this world. So if the stock markets crash or, you know, anything like this goes on, it says it doesn't affect you. I, I had the audacity... I was a pastor for many years. And back in 2008, I launched a full-time itinerant ministry. Guess what? I had enough money in the bank to last me about a year. Sold my house. And then what ended up happening is the stock market crashed. Everything went south. I had churches. I mean, literally, I had moved to the United States and was living in Florida. And there were churches down there. I'm talking about like 20 or 30 churches that had scheduled me to preach who canceled on me. And like, I said, why are you canceling? We can't afford it. I said, you just taking a free will offering? They said, no, we can't even afford to do that. I said, okay, that's a, that's a mindset. I understand. But I just said, look. And so I literally... And I had three businessmen who were supporting me full-time, and all three of them lost almost everything they had. I knew at that time, like six guys that were multimillionaires that lost everything. And I said, God, this isn't fair. They're going to finance my ministry. And then the one guy who financed my ministry, who was giving like 80% of our income, thousands of dollars every month, dies in a car accident. I preached his funeral. At that point, I literally had God and God and God. But how many know that God plus you is a majority? And I said to the Lord, what do you want me to do? And he said, die. <laughs> the book of Haggai, he said, yeah, you earn lots of money. Put it in your pockets with his holes. And the rest of it, I blew it away. Why? Because you weren't building according to my blueprint. Their focus was on themselves, not on God's temple. And when our focus is on ourselves, God bless me so I can be happy, comfortable, prosperous, out of pain, whatever else. And God says, no, 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 no. I have something I want to do here. But there's a process. It will bring you the promise. And you will have all your need met. But the process is inevitable. 
You must engage the process. You must embark on the way. And when you learn to embark on the way, He will show you His promises and He will give you all that you need. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 says this, and I'm going to close with this. It says, Paul is speaking. Remember all the things that Paul had gone through. Saw so many miracles, didn't he? But we forget about what, how much he suffered. Do you know what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, I believe it is, that although Jesus was a son, he had to learn obedience by the things he suffered. Why? Because to have a testimony, you've got to go through some tests. To have a message, you've got to have some mess. You understand that there's stuff you've got to go through in order to get there. There's stuff we've got to go through in order to get there. God didn't take them from Egypt right into Canaan. He brought them into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, they lacked. They didn't have, you know, the abundance that they were hoping. And even what God had promised them. In Egypt, they had not enough. In, the, in, in Canaan, they would have more than enough. But in the wilderness, they would have just enough. So before you move from prophecy to destiny, you've got to learn that His grace is our sufficiency. How do I do this? You learn to trust me. You learn dependency. Going back to 2 Corinthians 1.9, I didn't forget about it. Yes, we have the sentence of death in ourselves that we might not trust in ourselves. Woo! But in God who raises the dead. Hallelujah! Do you want to know and live in the resurrection realm? The resurrection realm is a place where the supernatural is natural and effortless. That is the resurrection realm. In order to experience resurrection power, there has to be a death. And he's saying that this death sentence is literally us. It's on us. And we must learn to die to ourselves, to trusting or relying on ourselves and clinging completely, wholeheartedly to God so that no matter what we go through, we say, God, I don't understand what is happening right now. Your Word says that You will meet my need. Your Word says that I can call upon You in the time of trouble and You will answer me and deliver me and I will glorify Your name. But God, Show me your ways. Show me what to do in this situation. Show me what to do. And God will reveal to you what to do.